giant robots smashing into other giant robots. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Giant Robots Smashing Into Other Giant Robots podcast. I'm Ben, and I'm here today with Derek Reimer. How's it going, Derek? Good. How are you, Ben? Good, thanks. Do you know what you know what weirds me out? What? When people say, "How's work?" I'm like, or like, "How you doing?" I'm like, "Oh man, work is crazy." Mm-hmm. And it's like, isn't isn't work just always busy because that's what work is? Yeah. Like you never finish work, right? You're not like, like oh, we just our company uh, ran out of work this week, and so we all took the rest of the month off. Yeah, I've I've tried to um, stop telling people like if someone asks you how you're doing, it's like, ugh, busy. Yeah. Like that's not a that's not a good answer because everyone's busy. Yeah. And that, that just, yeah, and I don't, I, don't, I don't quite understand that. Jason Fried has been writing about how busy is kind of a, a bad thing to be in general. Yeah. And I sort of agree yeah. with that, that basic sentiment where it's like, let's all be working on the infinite pile of work in a productive, insane way. Right. Let's, let's do that. That sounds fine. Busy sounds like, oh man, like I don't know how to prioritize what's going on. And so, and I have this stress that the work pile is infinite, but it's like the work yeah. pile is always going to be infinite. And I get that yeah. some some people have like different pressures than I do, where like there are deadlines and seasonal pressures and things like that. So okay, maybe work gets crazy for for your kind of job, but sure, if you can avoid that mentality, I think it's useful. Yeah, I think some people like like thrive on it, like wear it like a badge of honor. Like I'm I'm busy all the time, but it's like I don't think that's sustainable if you can help it. Yeah, I I think even just thinking about it that way is probably not great for you. Yeah, not so good. So there's a lot going on in in the world. Of me and, and probably you too, I would imagine. Let's hear it. What's sure. What's going on? So there are basically two, well, three big things that have my focus right now. So did we talk about the marketing position change? Yeah, last last we talked about it, uh, you had a job posting live. Yeah. So the job posting is no longer live. Okay. Uh, and it's not because we hired somebody, but it's actually because we're not going to hire someone right now. Okay. The current plan is for me to focus on growth sort of directly. I've been thinking more about building out a team, like sort of thinking like, okay, I'm CEO, let me figure out how to get all the people doing all the things. And it was going pretty slowly. And we, we kind of stepped back and said, like, the team is not very big right now. And there are growth things that I can do that a marketer couldn't do. Because I know all the products really intimately, and I can write the code. And I'm pretty decent at, you know, marketing copy and things like that. So like, I could really get in there and be productive kind of right now. And so we kept reviewing candidates and it was kind of like, this person is good, but we're still going to basically need to dedicate a lot of development time to this person so that Mm -hmm. they can get stuff done. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of looked at all the growth things that we might do and few of them were like pure marketing. Uh, And so we're going to not hire that person right now. And I'm spending, my focus is doing growth things and I'm going to talk about some of the stuff that's in progress, but we're going to try hiring some salespeople actually. Okay. Uh, and so this is based on the conversation I had last week uh, with that person who I need to ask if I can use his name because this is going to get annoying yeah. if I just keep <laughs> saying mystery person. But so, yeah, we're going to try it. So we have like leads coming in and they're handled like kind of okay. Uh-huh. So I actually don't know if quite what this is going to look like. Is it like mostly kind of customer success focused where it's like starting off by mostly just helping existing leads be successful and make sure like someone's talking to them and connecting with them and saying, Hey, like you didn't actually get this thing done. And we have some sort of sequence, like we have some automation around, Hey, you, you know, did this, but then you didn't do this. Can we help you? And they're not very effective. 
Yeah. We haven't iterated on them, so they could certainly get more effective, but it's it's not the same as someone saying like, hey, I noticed X, Y, and Z. How can I help you? What can I get you? That kind of thing. Yeah. That was a big moment in Drip's history when we started actually talking to customers and potential customers via video and voice and through webinars and things like that. Mm-hmm. There came a point in time when people really wanted to see demos of the product or they just wanted to be told about how it works. And they were, I mean, I guess you could call it sales because some of them had not yet purchased Drip and were interested in learning more about it and finding out what it could do. So really, when you talk to that person, you're kind of doing sales, but you're also just kind of educating. Right. So early in our history, when these requests started coming in, Rob would would record a screencast and send it to him Hmm. um, just to try trying to keep the process asynchronous. So that, you know, he wasn't his calendar wasn't filling up with all these one on one calls and he could potentially reuse demo videos or, you know, or at least splice in like a little bit of a little bit of custom stuff and then send uh, the kind of the canned uh, demo video. Mm -hmm. So we were doing that for a while, but it kind of got to the point where that wasn't really hacking it anymore. Mm -hmm. So then that's when we brought Anna onto the team and she spent like her basically her first year perfecting the, the demo pipeline for drip and. We kind of put that under the banner of customer success because uh-huh. um, she would do partially like pre-sales people and then partially customers who just needed um, onboarding help. And now that's kind of been split off into like sales and customer success. Mm, but mm-hmm. I think it made a lot of sense for us in the early days to just kind of put that under the customer success banner. Yeah, I think customer success is what you call it if you're a developer and sales sounds icky to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or no, I mean, there, there probably is a real distinction there. But yeah, I, I, actually, I was reading somewhere, actually, about when you, uh, some interview Rob gave when you talked about hiring Anna as being kind of like a big thing, like having someone yeah. focus on that is really useful. Yeah. And we don't yeah. really have that. So we're, we're actually talking to a sales consultant. So someone who sort of helps you build a sales process. Mm-hmm. But I think as of right now, our plan is to hire two people. Mm-hmm. And the idea is kind of like you see, you see how they perform against each other. Like you have a sort of metric where it's like, okay, X did this and Y did this. Because if you just hire one person, you don't know, like, is, are they doing well or not? Like, is this a, a reasonable number of people to kind of help or close or whatever? Right. Maybe testing your sales process. Ex- exactly. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. That, there's a lot of TBD there. And who knows, like, how that will actually shape up. Uh, but that yeah. is, that's the current plan. Okay. I feel really good about it because it's something that I've never done before. And it feels like a blind spot mm. where it's like my answer to most questions is like, well, how do we write more code? Or like, how do we automate this thing to solve this? And yeah. it feels like such a like developer as entrepreneur blind spot to have. Sure. And like, just the idea of hiring these people sounds foreign and a little bit scary. And I think that's actually a good thing. Yeah. Because I don't want to keep doing the things we've been doing because I think we're going to get kind of similar results. Right. So I know when you were you were telling me about uh, like some of the conversations you had with candidates for the marketing position, mm-hmm. you know, you had the one candidate who was like throwing all kinds of questions at you of like, have you considered this and what about this? Or did you learn through that process that like you actually had a maybe a better handle on marketing strategy than you thought? Is that was that mm, something that you? No, I would actually say that we're we're still doing not a great job of marketing. I think his questions sort of illuminated the fact that like, hey, no one's really paying a lot of attention to this. Yeah. So it's not that it wouldn't be great to hire that person. But we can basically we can't hire like a lot of people right now. We just don't have the the revenue for that. Right. So I think the stuff that I am familiar with and can do is marketing effectively. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I'm going to talk about a a thing I have in progress, and it is I think it's marketing or growth marketing or who knows what you would call it. But (laughs) um, 
I think I can do a good enough job of this, and I like it, and I think I will get better at it. So I think it's a good focus for now. And eventually, I think it would be great to bring on someone who is like that marketing person, who's sure. dedicated to thinking about all of these things, because that will that'll make it even better. Sure. But I'm feeling energized by this plan for now. It feels good. Cool. That's exciting. Yeah. So a uh, thing I have in progress right now is one of the ideas I've come up with, and actually it's, it's happening, is I reached out to uh, Avdi Grimm of Ruby Tapas. Uh, so that's happening. In fact, we already have a landing page up with just like a, it's like a teaser right now. Yeah. I think I saw the tweet uh, yesterday. Yep. Thoughtbot.com slash upcase slash tapas. And there's almost nothing there, which is kind of the idea. But I've built out a whole launch plan for a promotion with him. So the gist is we're going to be bundling annual plans together. So a year of tapas and a year of upcase, which kind of goes really well together because Ruby tapas are typically like seven minutes or so, plus or minus, and we have much longer courses. So it's kind of like a nice one-two. And then we're going to also have tiers where as you pay a little bit more, you can get things like Confident Ruby, which is an ebook he wrote, which is great. Ruby Science, which is an ebook we wrote, which is great. Access to like an Ask Us Anything event. And at the top level for teams, we're even going to do a private one-hour lunch and learn mm. if you pay for the, the top thing. So I'm really happy with the way the tiers look mm-hmm. and the fact that I think we will... like. So I tweeted last night at like 11 o'clock or something, or maybe 10 mm-hmm. o'clock, which just says, what is this? And link to the page. And we already have 100 people that have dropped an email in there. Nice. Um, it's been, yeah, like 12 hours overnight. So yeah. I think this will do pretty well. I also made a list of all our marketing assets or our channels, basically, the people we have access to and the places we can promote this. And there's a lot of them, mm-hmm. especially between Avdi and us. So I'm feeling good. I drew up a big launch sequence of like what the emails will look like and what we're going to say when and had Nathan Barry look at it, mm-hmm. who, who wrote a book called uh, Mastering Product Launches or something like that. Yeah. So he's, he's got some experience there and also Brennan Dunn and like got some feedback on these things. So I'm feeling pretty good about our process and uh, I think I'll talk about it more as it, as it unfolds. Cool. Yeah. I can't wait to hear about it. But I feel like it could be a really, really big win for both of you, which I think I kind of mentioned that last week, like joint ventures are, are great because it's such a no brainer, like win, win situation for both sides. And you know, you get to benefit from his audience. He gets to benefit from your audience and yeah, totally. Yeah. So. And like our, our LTV on an annual plan for upcase is four times the month to month plan. Mm-hmm. And the team plan is like 12 times. Yeah. Yeah. In upfront revenue and then likely ongoing revenue after that. Yeah. Gives you a lot of cash to, to play around with. Right. To maybe hire Actually. that, that, uh, that marketing person or something. Sure. Actually, uh, this is Ben from the future cutting in here to say that uh, at the time of recording, I didn't realize that when you are hearing this, by the time my voice is entering your ears, this offer is actually live. It is live right now. You can go to upcase.com slash tapas and uh, you will see everything you need to see. Here is the summary though. Uh, So at the basic level, uh, we're going to give you about 38% off a combined annual subscription to tapas and upcase. The sale is running from the 30th of January to the 6th of February. And if you were listening to this on the 30th, uh, you have an opportunity to get another 10% off. So for the first 24 hours, we have actually several tiers and all of them will be discounted 10% the first 24 hours. So if you're hearing this right now on a Monday, you're going to want to go ahead and check this out quickly. By the way, this is available if you are already an Upcase subscriber or a Ruby Tapa subscriber. And quick 
hint the best deal on there we have four tiers and the best one is actually the team tier so if you can have a coworker sign up with you or even just a friend and you build a team together uh, you will get the best deal so check that out upcase.com slash tapas as in ruby tapas and uh, i think you're gonna like what you see that's sort of a, my big focus right now i'm writing emails and such it's interesting i have to do the same work to get in the zone to write a good email as i do to like write code yeah where it's like, it takes me a while. And at first, my like brain kind of rebels. It's like, no, Twitter. And I'm like, no, no, we're going to write an email. And it's like, no, like check, check Slack. It's like, no, we're going to write an email. And eventually, it's like, all right, fine, we'll write an email. Yeah. Do you have any hacks for writing emails? Like, do you like to outline them first? Do you just kind of dive in? Uh, I just kind of dive in. I, st- I just start trying to get like kind of a crappy first draft going. Yeah. Because usually once I have a handful of sentences, I'll, I'll, like after I'll write like five or six sentences, and then I'll get like a seventh one that I kind of like. And I'm like, okay, now we're now we're kind of going, yeah. And uh, I tend to like kind of loop back as I write. I'll write a little bit and then kind of like go edit and then you know keep writing and write and go edit. And so it kind of the whole thing is iteratively better as I'm. And by the time I'm done, like the whole thing is like not bad usually. Right, right. My best hack is just like don't get distracted, shut everything down, turn off yeah. all notifications. Yeah, it takes a little while to throw, keep throwing words at the page until something coalesces and you're like, ah, now I can do this. This is good. Yeah, so, exactly. Yep. Once there's a little bit of success there, it's like, all right, fine, we're kind of on our way now. Now I'm getting yep. kind of excited. Nice. Uh, so that's sort of the big stuff in my world. I mean, there'll be def- definitely a lot more updates on those things because they're in progress and big picture items. So I'm looking yeah. forward to talking more about them. Cool. Good stuff. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick moment to tell you about today's sponsor, Mobile Dev and Test Conference. Mobile and Internet of Things developers need to learn the latest tools to develop smart IoT and mobile software. Mobile Dev and Test is back again this year in San Diego from April 24th to the 28th, bringing new mobile development training and hands-on tutorials. Learn advanced development skills for Android, iOS, building cross-platform apps, Azure, Gradle, how to implement speech recognition in iOS apps, and much, much more. As an added bonus, Mobile Dev and Test is co-located with IoT Dev and Test conferences. Your one registration automatically gives you access to both programs with over 60 learning sessions. Learn foundational, intermediate, or advanced skills based on the program you choose for your skill set at well.tc slash mdtrobots. That's w-e-l-l dot t-c slash mdtrobots. Giant Robots listeners can use the code mdtrobots to receive $200 off their conference registration fee. And that's up to $600 off if you register by February 24th in conjunction with their super early bird discount. Learn more at well.tc slash MDT robots. So I am taking a class. Ooh, what are you taking a class in? So I've talked a number of times on here about kind of wanting to learn like, learn new programming language or just kind of learn some te- technology that I'm not super familiar with. I think I've talked about wanting to read more and kind of consume knowledge in that way. So it's something I've been giving a lot of thought to is like, where do I want to focus my learning on? at least for the next few months. And I kind of thought about this uh, on my retreat as well. Hmm. So I was, it was a toss up between like, do I want to try to hardcore learn a new language like Go or Elixir or something like that? Or do I want to um, learn some other concept? And I kind of settled on a machine learning course from Coursera. That was my guess. Really? Yeah, that was exactly what I would have guessed. How did you know? I didn't. I just, uh, as soon as you said that, I was like, what might be? And that was my first guess. Yeah. So hot right now. Yeah, I've just been here. Like, I see it everywhere. And I feel like it's the future of computing is like 
basically machine learning. Like at some point, we're going to stop calling it machine learning, and it's just going to be how software works. Right, just be um, programming. Yeah, exactly. And I'm seeing like a lot of uh, potential use cases for machine learning uh, concepts with Drip. You know, mm-hmm. we've we have a growing code base just kind of centered around abuse mitigation and spotting spammers and people malicious users signing up for Drip before they actually harm the system. Mm-hmm. So in a sense, we're kind of already doing some rudimentary machine learning, and the system actually works pretty well. But I think you know eventually we're, we might want to start actually like separating this out into its own subsystem and piping in lots of data and doing some true like learning algorithms on our data to hopefully get even better at, at spotting malicious users. Yeah. And also like, you know, just in marketing automation in general, I think there's a lot of potential to look at interesting ways. You can look at all the data we're taking in because we're taking in a ton of data from, uh, from our JavaScript tracking snippet and, you know, click data and unsubscribe data and all this stuff. So, you know, looking at ways that we can use this data and apply algorithms to it to implement potentially new automation triggers. Um, mm. I think there's some some interesting opportunities there as well. So, yeah, I, I uh, just kind of made the decision quickly to like I started researching courses and saw that um, even though this is like a it's through Coursera, so you can sign up and take it any time. I think they do have like a, a start time for the course. And it just so happened that it started a few days before I signed up. So hmm. I could kind of jump in on week one and kind of follow the the cohort along. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I've got I've made it through week one. A lot of intro material, defining terms and stuff like that. And it's it's interesting. It's kind of taking me back to my math major. And uh, yeah, it's it's like we're already diving into linear regression and classification problems and stuff like that. So nice. Yeah, it's it's fun to to get back in that mindset. Like I've been out of college for so long, or at mm-hmm. least it feels like an eternity. It's it's interesting to get back in the mindset of like learning some material and then taking a quiz and trying to do your best on that quiz. And I don't know, it's kind of fun. I'm enjoying it. Nice. Are you doing yeah. this during like working hours or off hours? Uh, so I'm doing it off hours. It's like my little my little side project for now. Cool. So. I know that these courses typically have a pretty high dropout rate because like no one's watching you and there's not like a it doesn't go on your permanent record. Yeah. Do you have thoughts on mitigating any of that? Or are you just going to keep on pushing it? Yeah. So my <laughs> the one mitigation strategy I put in place is I paid for the class. Oh, um, OK. You can take it for free. And there's like disclaimers on the site that's like the free version of the course is really intended for you just to scope it out and see if it's something you want to take. Uh-huh. But then when I was enrolling in the course, it said there was like two options, free or paid. And the free said all of the course material is available. And with the paid option, you get a certificate at the end or something. Mm-hmm. And I don't particularly care that much about the certificate. Like I'm not resume building, but it was 79 bucks. So I'm like, you know, I'll pay for the class just as an incentive to <laughs> to stick with it. Nice. Abuse we'll, that we'll sunk see. cost fallacy. Yeah, exactly. Bias in, ex- in the brain. Exploit it to the very end. Totally. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I'm, I'm interested to hear what you think of it. Because I'm um, I'm pretty unfamiliar myself, and so I'll be yeah. interested to hear if you manage to apply that stuff to like a real world drip stuff. Yeah, I'm curious too. I feel like when I was in college, I was so anxious to get out of like the classroom and into the real world because I felt like the stuff I'm doing here is great and all, but it's kind of in a petri dish, and it's not not necessarily going to translate into the real world and actually making money (laughs) so i'm kind of like i'm diving back into that it's like a lot of theoretical stuff it's a lot of like learning fundamental concepts Mm -hmm. and i'm sure i'll start to feel the itch of like all right i want to start taking this and applying it somewhere and i hope some things will jump out during the course of like spotting opportunities to use it yeah i bet they will 
if you're anything like me, you'll have a shiny new hammer. And so yeah. suddenly nails everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Title. Hmm. So you have homework now. Yeah, I do. How does that feel? Yeah. It's uh, so far it's good. Um, mm. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. It's the first course like this that I've taken. Like it's it's nothing like an online course that I took through my college where it was like administered through Blackboard and oh my god, Blackboard really, you know, just all all in writing and no videos. Like I feel like they've done a really good job putting it together. So I'm able to follow along. Yeah. It, it's cool. good and it's and so this is all async right you just you watch videos that are pre-recorded and then do stuff on your own time yeah pretty much yeah there's like so far week one was a mix of uh, videos and then they'll take you to like the lecture notes so you can look over it in writing and then oh, you take a quiz and then it's like a five question quiz and you can retake it a handful of times if you want first few times i got a four out of five and i had to retake that quiz to get the five out of five <laughs> <laughs> you're a completionist <laughs> yeah um Awesome. So I'll keep, yeah, I'll keep uh, sharing updates about that, how that's going. Please do. Yeah. So I read a, I read a blog post that came out a, a few months ago, and this is kind of in line with some of the things I was thinking about on my retreat. And it was a blog post from uh, the Basecamp team, actually. It's called How We Structure Our Work in Teams at Basecamp. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I thought it might be interesting just to kind of walk through like the high level bullet points in there and, yeah. and then just kind of hear your thoughts on what you think of it. Oh, um, totally. Yeah. So basically, the gist of the article is that they talk about how they plan out their work cycles. So Basecamp works in a six-week cycle, and then I think they take two weeks at the end of the six-week cycle to kind of regroup and, and do tiny tasks and bug fixes and things. Mm-hmm. And for each cycle, they they usually pull off about two large projects. They may take the full six weeks, and they call them big batch projects. And then they do between four and eight small batch projects, which are like one day to two weeks long. Mm-hmm. And one of the interesting things about their process is that they try to never let a project run past six weeks. Mm -hmm. So in response to the question of like, well, don't some things take longer? Their response is they find that most things like an MVP of a feature can fit into a six week cycle. So if it doesn't, then try to hammer the scope down to the point where it will. Mm -hmm. And then also to the question of like, what if you guys just get behind and things, other priorities creep in? And, you know, their response to that is is kind of the same, like, well, keep reducing scope then so that you can get something shipped by the deadline. Yep. I thought this was interesting because I've always felt like they've been a pretty deadline averse team in general. Mm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think they're making clever use of deadlines as a motivational tactic for their team, for everybody right. to feel like, you know, we don't have a constantly endlessly moving target. Like, here's the target and let's all try to hit that. Yep. And it's like a self-imposed deadline and not some external pressure, which I think is kind of the difference. I'd argue the big difference is the ability to flex the scope to meet the yeah. deadline. Because de- I yeah. think deadlines are fine as long as you can change the scope. Right. No, I think that's a good point. So, I, you know, I've just been thinking about, like, so far at Drip, we, we really never have deadlines. Occasionally, we will, like, set a public deadline. Like, when we were launching workflows, we got about four weeks out and we said, okay, we're going to start marketing this thing. And, you know, so we started sending out teaser emails and saying, this is coming. And at that point, the cat was out of the bag. So we kind of had to ship it. Right. Even though it wasn't completely done. And that did like pull a lot of things into focus. We had to redo. We realized last minute that our whole onboarding funnel did not support workflows or Mm -hmm. wasn't workflow centric. Mm -hmm. And so we kind of put ourselves in a predicament where we had to to come up with some solutions really quickly, mm. but it forced us to focus. I think it easily could have gone on for a few months longer if we hadn't set a deadline publicly. Right. So I don't know. I've been thinking about how we can, what pieces we can pull out of this to kind of 
help us keep a better cadence, I guess, with shipping features and potentially like keep the whole team motivated to like get this chunk of work done by this deadline. Mm. So I like that idea. I find that constraints usually have a pretty positive impact on at least me and how I work. And yeah. I haven't used something like this before, but it sounds intuitively good to me. Mm-hmm. I tend to be thinking kind of like over a span of a couple weeks, but sometimes only like a week at a time, basically. Yeah. Um, and that is probably suboptimal. I think doing planning at a slightly higher level would be really useful. Because when you have a set deadline, you're saying, we're going to do these three things, and we're also going to explicitly not do these other things. Right. Which I, I like. It's like, because sometimes I get myself in a situation where it's like, ah, oh, there's so many things I could do. And it's hard to prioritize between them. And it's hard to, but if, if you say like, we're only going to pick three things, you force yourself to ignore the rest for a little while, which I find right. to be really useful. Yeah. I'm friendly with the folks over at Wistia and they're, they just started doing a process like this a couple months ago. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not exactly the same, but it's sort of the similar concept and they have been having good results from it. They like it. And oh, awesome. for them, I don't know if this actually ha- was showed up in the, the Basecamp blog post, but for them, one useful component was they added a demo day at the end of the thing. So it's like mm-hmm. the whole company gets together and you show like, okay, hey, my team had this project and here's what it looks like. And yeah. then you're, you're not even forced so much, it, like you're forced to ship, but also you're, you're forced to demo it in front of everyone. And so I think there's like a, a little bit of like this positive peer pressure almost where it's like, you don't want to look right. like you, like that's all you did over six weeks in front of your whole, all your friends and whatnot. Yeah, it's nice. We, we haven't really participated in these a whole lot yet, but uh, Lead Pages has product delivery demo days. I think they do those maybe weekly or every other week. Mm. And it's kind of like optional, but like basically any of the product teams can show up and kind of demo to their peers what they've been working on. That's cool. Which I think that could be a good good opportunity to do that. And there's also a kind of a monthly all hands meeting that happens where uh, where all the different teams kind of report on what they've shipped in the last month. Mm-hmm. That also would be a good opportunity to uh, kind of hold yourself accountable to your to your peers. Totally. Just we're getting back to show and tell, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> show and tell <laughs> turns out turns out it's good for adults as well. Yep, <laughs> totally. So, are you bought into this? You're going to try this scheme? I'm still noodling on it, and you know, I, Rob and I have talked about it a little bit. Some of my concerns with it are that what happens if we are pretty far off on our estimates? Like, if we say we want to do these four projects, and I, I'm already thinking like six weeks seems a little bit long. Like, I think I prefer mm-hmm. a little bit shorter time cycle, mm-hmm. maybe four weeks. Mm-hmm. But say we pull off these projects and we say we're going to get these done, and then we're like way off. What does that mean? Does everyone feel like we failed? Mm-hmm. Can we really hammer scope down that far so that we can get these four things shipped? At that point, do we throw our hands up and say, this is arbitrary. We should not be, you know, let's just change the plan. And then are we totally like defeating the purpose of doing this in the first place? Yeah, right. I'm sure like teams get better and better over time at right. figuring out what's going to fit. Um, well, I, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> that hasn't exactly yeah. been my experience. I feel like it's still really hard for me to estimate software projects. Yeah. I think you just go with that constraint. You just say, like, we're going to screw up the the estimates all the time, but we still want to work in these bursts that are this long. Therefore, we're going to be okay. It's not a failure to cut scope dramatically during the whatever you call it. Yeah. The iteration. And I think, you know, the thing that we could potentially do is just dramatically undershoot the time. Like, like if we estimate we can get this stuff done in two weeks, then make that make those our goals for our four week cycle Mm -hmm. and just just figure it's going to take twice as long. Mm hmm. And then if that, you know, try that for a few months. And if we end up like with a lot of extra time of unplanned where we, we don't have time filled, then we can like start adding in more, I guess. So yep. do you know what I like about this? 
is the Hawthorne effect. Hmm. Do tell. The Hawthorne effect is a phenomenon where when you are studying the behavior of people in some way, their behavior changes because they are aware that their behavior is being observed. Ah. I think this like initially got discovered because someone went to a plant, like a production, a factory, mm-hmm. and said, let's try making the lights 30% brighter. And they did that, and productivity went up. And they're like, oh my gosh, it worked. And they're like, let's try making the lights 30% dimmer than they were before. And then productivity went up again. <laughs> and it was just like, <laughs> wait a second. So part of it, I think, is the Hawthorne effect, where it's like people know they're being, like, this is an experiment, and so they change what they're doing. But also, right. I think there's a similar phenomenon, just like when you just change things, stuff will change too, and often for the better. Yeah. This, this was actually something that drove me crazy back when I was assistant director of a chorus. And so, because what would happen is we would bring these coaches in to work with the chorus and they'd be like, all right, sing this, sing this part of the song. And we'd sing this part of the song. And it was like pretty good. And they'd be like, okay, I want you to think about this while you're singing. And then we would, we would sing it again and it would get better. And they'd be like, there you go. That's the trick. And that, that, that's what makes it better. Except the thing that they would tell you to change was like, or think about or do like, they would like rearrange people on the risers or yeah. have people close their eyes or put your hands above your head or change what color shirt you're wearing. It was just like, you could change basically anything. And the second time through would be better just because like yeah. you've changed the stimulus and people are paying more attention. And also like, it's the second time through, it's always, almost always going to be better than the first time. Like when people are a little more nervous or not quite as warm. And so it used to drive me a little nuts because they would be like, I'm a genius. I have improved the sound. And it's like, you could have said nothing and just had them do it again. And it probably would have gotten better. <laughs> Right. I personally respond really well to like productivity system changes. Mm-hmm. Like when I, you know, like when I change how I'm tracking to do's or like a system I'm using or how I'm thinking about things that tends to work for me, just changing it. It tends to lead to better results for yeah. a while. Uh, so you might see some of that here. Yeah, I think so. I'm optimistic that it'll give people a sense of focus. You mm-hmm. know, I, it's good to have like a healthy sense of like, we can always decide to work on what's most important because we're not constrained by fixed roadmaps and things like that. But I think if you go too far in that direction and you, you can fall on a spot where you're, you feel like you're lacking focus. And I think as the team grows, I think it's going to be really important to make sure everyone feels like they can really focus. Yeah. Um, so you, you had mentioned, I think last time that one of your big goals is to remove yourself as the bottleneck from yeah. tech stuff. Do you think this will help at all? Or is this kind of serve a different goal? This is probably slightly different. Like I think just organizing into teams is probably the biggest thing that's going to help with the bottleneck issue. Yep. But I think this is probably too big of a topic to to tackle right now at the end of the show. But, you know, one of the other things we're trying to learn how to do well is like syncing multiple developers time as they work on projects together. So like getting a designer and a developer both working on a project and how do we coordinate them so that one doesn't do their part and then is waiting like weeks before the developer gets on it and then they have to circle back. And yeah, so I think like maybe some of that will be at least mitigated if we say like, all right, this month, these are the projects we're tackling. So, you know, you guys feel free to bounce back and forth amongst yourselves as needed to just basically make progress on these handful of projects, as opposed to like starting the design work on 10 different projects and then, you know, development falling way behind or vice versa. Cool. Well, I'm I'm curious to hear the results of this as well. Yeah. We should consider doing this podcast weekly so that we can check in and see how things are going. That sounds like a good idea. Let's make that change. Okay. Let's make sure to never do more than 300 of them, though. <laughs> okay. we'll, we'll, we'll set the deadline of getting to 300 by some point, and we'll flex the scope as we go. Sounds good. <laughs> uh, cool. Today's show is produced and edited by Tom the Dirty Bomb Obarski. If you'd like to access the show notes for today's episode, you can go to giantrobots.fm slash 225. Thanks for listening. 